And, uh, and so, hey, listen, we are so glad you're here today. My name is Stephen. I'm lead pastor here, and we're just honored to have you here, our VIPs, very important people here at Axis. And so uh, your friends took time to invite you here today, and we're just so glad that you're here and uh, honored, by, honored by your presence. Uh, how many of you know what a keepsake box is? Raise your hand real high. A keepsake box, okay? Uh, we have several at our house because as our kids have grown, we have four children. We have one in college, two in high school, and one in elementary school. And as they are growing and as they are uh, getting older, we're now reflecting back a little bit. And you remember those keepsake boxes where you keep all of their papers, uh, their tests, and things like that? I actually went across, I came across my keepsake box as well. Uh, I've told my kids before that I did okay in high school. They always wonder, you know, who did better in high school? Well, Lisa did better in high school, you know, than I did. And uh, I like to say I, I liked Algebra 2 so much I took it twice, you know, and that's, that's true. That was also a strategic decision because I've never had to help our kids with math homework. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so that's the great thing. I'm like, hey, your mother, she's got it together, and I just get to keep watching TV or whatever. So it's, it's really a good thing. But I pulled out Hannah's keepsake box. And uh, this is just one of them, but in, in this keepsake box are her shorts. These are from um, Lebanon Christian School when she played basketball for them. And uh, this is when uh, she was most valuable player in her eighth grade uh, team. Uh, another thing that I have in here that I really like, she made a paper, paper mache pig with a little tail on it. Isn't that cute? Uh, I don't know what grade she made that in. But here is a piece of pottery that is beautiful. Look at that. It's missing an ear. But uh, she did that sparkly horse. But I love this one. This is a picture that she made of her favorite stuffed animal, Blue Bear. So it doesn't have an age on this either. But um, what I think she made this last year, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it doesn't say that. But anyway, so uh, this is Blue Bear. This is her favorite stuffed animal. Now, to, to be completely transparent, the Blue Bear doesn't exactly look like this anymore. It's missing an arm and a leg. Uh, our dog ate him off. And so, um, but this is prior, this picture was drawn prior to the amputation. Um, but I love the, the, the things in this box. And despite all of the great things in there, all the papers, all the schoolwork, I think that's all great. But you know, as a parent, the things I love the most. The things I love the most in the box are the things that she created herself, the things that she made with her own hands, the things that she fashioned, the things that she drew. And you as a parent, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? As soon as they draw a picture at school, what do you do with it? goes right up on the refrigerator, doesn't it? And you celebrate it, and you don't care. It's like people come by and say, what is that? You go, my kid made that. Isn't that awesome? Not only that, but when they make a piece of pottery in their third grade class, you immediately put it up on that windowsill for all to see, and it just stays there. Or an ornament on the Christmas tree, how many years is it on that tree? Year after year after year after year. This is what we do as parents. Why? Because, listen, we learn a principle early on, and that is what you create, you care about. True? If you create it, you care about it. And if you draw that picture, you care about it. If you make that pottery, you care about it. What you create, you care about. And one of the messages we want to give all of you VIPs today is this, that God created you, and because he created you, he cares about you. The Bible is very clear on this. In fact, it says in Psalm 139, 
For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We, be, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. The very first line of the Bible, God created. And um, I, I was a Christian early on in my life, grew up in a Christian family. But in, high, in college, some of you have heard me say before that I had those questions of faith, kind of developing my own faith at that time. And I had a moment where I sat on the steps of Hopwood Memorial Chapel there at Milligan College, and I yelled out to God, God, if you're real, why don't you just sit next to me? Well, I think God had other things to do, like kind of run the universe. But uh, when I got back to my dorm room that night, and this was not profound, but it was meaningful to me, I just looked down at my hand and all the blood vessels and the skin and the nails. And in my own rational mind, I just thought, there's no way that just happened. I didn't know it at the time, but we call that the design argument for creation. And that means that when you look at the human eye or the ability to think or the ability to process information, that there's no way that that just happened by random happenstance, that something somewhere had to design that. And we believe that that is God. That led me on a, on a great time of just study and research about why I believe in the God of the universe. But I believe that God created you, and God created you, so he cares about you. Did you know it says in Psalm 17, verse 18, you are the apple of God's eye. You thought that was some American phrase, didn't you? You're the apple of somebody's eye. That's in the Bible. And, and I love that idea because when it says, man, you're the apple of God's eye. Max Lucado says it like this. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. What about Christmas, the Christmas gift he sent at Bethlehem, or not to mention the Friday at Calvary? Face it, friends, he's crazy about you. What you create, what you care about. And listen, what you care about, you think about. Uh, how many of you are Chipotle fans? You love, you love some Chipotle? Um, I I mean, I'm a Chipotle fan, and now that I've mentioned that to you, the only thing you're going to think about this entire rest of the service is I got to have some, I got to have some uh, Chipotle, and uh, and I got to go there right afterwards. So, but the thing is, I I do like Chipotle, and there are just some days where you have a hankering for some Chipotle. You know what I'm saying? And all day you're thinking, I got to have some Chipotle because what you care about, you think about. I love the Bengals. Well, it's sort of a love-hate relationship, but I do kind of like the Bengals. And I have since 1981, since we moved from North Carolina to Cincinnati. And so I have gone through the ups and downs of loving and hating the Bengals. But every year about this time, we begin to think about how great it's going to be and what great potential we have, right? And I start to, I like watch the articles and I listen to sports radio and I'm really prepared for the season. I know uh, where we're going to go and then I'm hopeful to about week, you know, four or five, and then I, suddenly all hope is dashed, usually on the rocks of my disappointment. But anyway, so it's okay. We can have a therapy session right here, can't we, right? It's okay. It's okay. But I, I think about the Bengals. I care about that. How many of you as parents, you think about your kids? Me as a dad. I think about my kids during the day. What are they doing? What are they enjoying? I look forward to seeing them. I just saw a couple in the, in the coffee area over there. They have little kids. I said, you can't wait till they're teenagers. I said, it's so fun. Some people don't like teenagers. I'm like, it's so fun to have teenagers in the house all the time. I just love that. I think about Lisa during the day. What is she doing? These are the things I like about her. And uh, can't wait to see her. Why? Because the things that you care about, you think about. True? 
And, and the Bible says that God thinks about you. In fact, Psalm 139 said, you've searched me, God. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. And before a word is even on my tongue, you already know it completely. God thinks about you. What does he think about? Well, one thing he thinks about is he wants you to know you're unconditionally loved. A lot of people understand conditions. If you do this, then I'll do this. If you act this way, then I'll care about you. God's love is unconditional. That's how he cares about you. Isaiah 54, 10 says, The mountains and the hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way. Through God through Jeremiah said, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With an unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. God wants you to know that he loves you. So much so that uh, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave to you. He gave to you the gift of Christ, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So what does God think about? He thinks he wants you to know you're unconditionally loved. And he also thinks and wants you to know that you're extremely valuable. You're extremely valuable. You know, there are two things that determine someone's value or something's value. Who owns it and what are they willing to pay for it, all right? I brought with me something today. How many of you are UNC Tar Heel fans, just uh, for this week at least? No? How many of you are Gonzaga fans? No? Okay, all right, so nobody really cares. But anyway, um, this is a Coke bottle. I grew up in North Carolina, so if an occasional y'all slips out, you'll know why. I come by it honestly, all right? This is a Coke bottle. From 1981-1982, when North Carolina beat Georgetown, 80 or 63 to 62, uh, the NCAA championship. I have 12 of these in my office. All right, this is actually Coke from 1982. Right? You know what I'm saying? This has been around a long, long time. All right. Now I did a little research on this. I mean, this thing is. <laughs> This is my math problem coming out here. It's a lot, It's old, you know what I'm saying? It's really old. And uh, 1982. Thank you. Thank you. Whatever. And uh, you know how much this is worth? About two bucks. At best, ten bucks. You know, sometimes you'll find it for two to ten dollars. I'm thinking, I have saved this Coke for all these years for like a, a two to ten dollar, you know, investment. That's it, all right? Now, it makes me just want to drink it right now. You know what I'm saying? How many of you want to see me drink it? I'm just kidding. I'm not drinking this stuff. You kidding me? That's been around since 1982. Um, but anyway, so you know what? If you own, you know, what determines value? You know, one thing is who owns it. Now, if I own it, it's worth 2 to $10. But what if Michael Jordan owned this? Who played on that team? What would that be worth? Be worth an awful lot, wouldn't it? What if he signed it? Be worth even more. So th- one of the things we learn is, yeah, God thinks about us. And we learn that God thinks you're exceptionally valuable. Well, one of the reasons we know you're valuable is based on who who owns us. And I mean that in the best way possible because the Bible says you were bought with a price. You are a child of God. And that gives you incredible, incredible value. Not only that, the other way to determine how you value something is how much is someone willing to pay for it? How much is someone willing to pay for it? Now, if this was Michael Jordan's Coke bottle and somebody was willing to pay a million dollars for it, well, that's what it would be worth to that person. And, you know, here's another principle that I've learned, that when I care about something, it costs me something. Does anybody know what I'm saying? If you have kids today and you care about them, not only are you going to think about them, 
they're going to cost you something, right? Have you heard the statistics on this? I mean, it's somewhere like now to raise a kid to the age 18, it's like a million dollars or something ridiculous like that. And how many of you dads realize that's probably about true, right? I mean, we're just about there, I think. And uh, you just keep paying. Dad, can you give me some money? And uh, over time, that just accumulates through food and transportation and all the things that we do. What I care about, I think about. And what I care about is going to cost me something. It's going to cost me something. And here's what the Bible says about what God has done for you and how much he cares for you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6 says, He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. You see, the gospel message, the good news message is very simple. God created you. He loved you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. But we know mankind chose something different. It's called sin. That just means you choose your own way. You plan your own thing. You decide to do things against God's will. And the Bible says there's a penalty for sin. And the penalty is a death penalty. It's an eternal separation from the God of the universe because God's holy, righteous, can't have anything to do with the darkness of this world. And so he says, well, what will we do? That payment must be made. And so God's great plan through all the scripture and all of human history was they can't pay the price. So I'm going to enter their world. I'm going to live uh, a sinless life. I'm going to perform undeniable miracles. I'm going to die on the cross. That's what we celebrate at Easter. And my payment then on that cross will be one payment for all of sin of all mankind where he will pay the price and three days later would resurrect from the dead to prove who he was, that he was God, and that he would defeat death and so that we don't have to fear that. We don't have to fear that separation. And now we can choose to have a relationship with God. Now, how many of you know that cost him something? It cost them leaving heaven and coming to earth. It cost giving up that, the comfort of heaven. And it cost ultimately that life. And, uh, and then, of course, the celebration of the resurrection. So what do we know? We know that when you create something, you care about it. And we know when you care about it, you think about it. And we know that when you care about it, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. But that's how valuable you are. Now, many of you know, in July last year, my father passed away after a 19-month battle with cancer. Uh, Dad and his twin brother were strong men, farmers at heart, and uh, worked hard. Dad had never been in the hospital a day in his life until he was diagnosed with cancer. And he had a cancer that we all knew as a family was not survivable unless God performed a miracle. The statistics on it were very uh, challenging. Zero percent of the people who had the type of cancer that he had lived for five years. I asked him one time, I said, Dad, what, what, what do you think about time and what do you think about dates and, you know, what do you think about life? And he said, you know when I'm going to go? I said, when? He said, I'm going to go before December 31st, 2019. I said, really? You got it that planned out? Huh? He said, yeah, that's when my life insurance runs out. So that he had it all, had it all planned out. Well, last year in July, um, Dad went far longer than they ever planned. He went 19 months, and uh, they thought maybe 6 to 12. And uh, we had wonderful moments together. Now, my dad loved old cars, and he loved old cars from the time he was a boy. And, in fact, so much so that when you drove down the road, 
if he saw an old car pass you at 60 miles an hour as you were going the other way, he could tell you exactly what year that was and, and know exactly, I mean, like, that's a 19-whatever and a half even. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was down to, like, the nth degree. He knew old cars. Uh, I went to mom's house, and we discovered the photo album of some of dad's old cars, and some of them are in here, not all of them. And, and uh, I put some of them up on the board for you so you could check out some of these. I appreciate them. This is Dad in the tie and his twin brother, Ronnie. Now, this is probably a 1940-something Chevrolet. You see, I don't know it as well as he did. And I don't know what the sentimental value of this car was, if any. The truth is, Dad never kept cars. He would buy them and sell them, buy them and sell them, sell them to somebody else. It was just something he enjoyed doing, and it helped to provide for us. And go to the next one. This was my first car. I, I don't recommend that, actually. Um, it, uh, we, we tested its limits. If I ever have the money and uh, can find it again, I'll find a car just like that and just have it sit somewhere just for fun, you know. My kids won't be driving it, however, um, if you know what I mean. This is a 1976 Camaro. This is a 1972 uh, old Cutlass. This is the car that my friends and I took to Myrtle Beach on spring break. <laughs> oh, man, I also don't recommend that. Anyway, um, next picture. This is uh, a 1964 Caprice, Chevy Caprice. Had air conditioning. This is the car probably that dad owned other than one other one, more than, uh, longer than he had any other one. I can't even believe he sold this car. We had this for so many years. This is the car that uh, uh, Dina Farrell and I, we represented um, uh, uh, Beta Club, and we sat on the back of that for homecoming and prayed and waved at people. You know, that's the car that we had for that, and not that you guys care about that. But anyway, um, next this is a 1976 Corvette. Uh, it was a uh, it was an Indy Pace car that year. Uh, Dad also owned another Corvette. He actually really wasn't into Corvettes that much, but we did have a, a one that was red, uh, 1975 Corvette, and uh, he sold it to a guy, fifteen thousand dollars cash in a brown paper bag. The guy laid it on the table. Dad said, "All right, sold." We found out later that guy was a drug dealer. The sheriff ended up impounding it, and the sheriff's son ended up driving around town. But again, that's a whole other story. So. Next car. Okay, let's just stop here for a second. Now, when my dad uh, passed away, um, there were three cars that he currently owned still. One was a 1927 Model T Ford that my brother Mark and he had really restored from the ground up. And so Mark uh, received that car after dad passed away. My brother Jonathan had a 1985 Firebird that, uh, that he had had when he went into the Navy. And so they got another one, a different one, same model year, and uh, that way Jonathan could have that uh, after Dad died. This is a 1952 Ford Crestline or Sunline or convertible, and uh, mostly it's in boxes <laughs> and doesn't run, um, but these guys from our church are helping me to get it run because goodness knows um, I'd be looking at it and just celebrating it and uh, and not doing anything with it. But um, But one thing I know about this car, Dad took a lot of time. It's the only car that my grandfather owned and my dad's twin brother owned, and then dad owned. He was tempted to sell it a few months before he died. I'm glad he didn't. One of these days, uh, I, I'm going to come in here and, and drive that thing. In fact, mom said, uh, hey, why don't you boys just take some hats from your dad? Take some hats. We're going to give them away. I'm, I don't look good in a hat. I have kind of a little peanut head, and, uh, and his, uh, he has this. But you know the hat I chose? A Ford hat, right? I'm not even a Ford guy. I chose a Ford hat. 
And one of these days, I'm going to come driving in a 1952 Ford Crestline convertible wearing my Ford hat, you know. And I think it would be awesome. Roy Earwood had an idea. How cool would it be to have an annual car show, J. Donald Sam's car show out here. And, uh, and we're planning on that as soon as we get that thing up and running. Um, but before Dad died, he took me to his workshop area. And he was so excited about showing me some chrome from the car. And uh, this is a piece of, that he actually opened up. His hands had neuropathy in them, and so he wasn't uh, very nimble. Uh, but he showed me several of the parts of the car that he had sent off to have worked on, and they showed me other parts that he had kind of painstakingly worked with his own hands to work down and to polish up. Uh, this next piece is, the, is actually the front of the car. They call this the bullet. It goes right on the front of the uh, 1952 Ford. Now, here's the reason I share that story with you. I love the fact that Dad loved old cars. I love the fact that he took time to share uh, with us his love for cars. Uh, but here's something that uh, I find amazing. It took us about 20 minutes to find this photo album, and we looked all over. And in every area of the house that we could look, Mom and I looked and finally found this. This does not even include all the cars. This is just a few of the cars that he owned. And here's what was surprising, maybe, that we found one photo album of this great love of his of some cars. But we had to look through about 20 photo albums of something that he valued more in order to find the one photo album with the cars in it. You know what that was? Family vacations, Christmases, family time. What, what was the priority to dad was, was the cars, but really his children and his family. It was really what the cars provided. One of the ways dad helped us go through college was to help to renovate cars. It was the children and the family that mattered more than the vehicles. That's one of the reasons why he never kept them around very much. And here's what I want you to know today, guys, is this, that your father, your Father in heaven, who painstakingly cares for you, helps to restore, helps to provide, helps to work, helps to sacrifice, because His love for you cost Him something, but you were the object of His affection. You were the object of His work. You are that very valuable person to God. You matter to Him so much. And the message that we want to give you today very clearly to all of you VIPs is this, that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And we want you to understand unequivocally that, uh, that you are the most important thing in all the world to Him. God loves you that much. You know, one, one, one theologian was once asked, what's the greatest truth you've ever learned? And he said, the greatest truth I've ever learned out of everything I've ever learned is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It was so simple and yet so profound. You are the object of the Creator's affection. He created you, so He cares about you. And what you care about, you think about, and God thinks about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. And what you care about, it's going to cost you something. And it costs God that ultimate gift of providing for you on the cross. Now, what I want to do today is I want to pray for you. 
And then every weekend here at Axis, we take what's called communion. It's something that God established or Christ established as a meal to kind of represent his body, his blood, his sacrifice on the cross. We usually pass it row by row, but today we have some communion stations set around the room. And after, after a moment, after our praise, Sherry is going to play. And you can feel free, if you're a follower of Christ, to just kind of get out of your seat. You can take that bread, dip it into the juice and take that. If you're not comfortable with that or if it's new to you, you can stay seated if you like. Use it as a time of prayer and, uh, or a time just to reflect on the week if you like to. And uh, those of you who like to contribute to Axis, those of you who do that regularly, those baskets are there. We're not passing baskets today for that. Those baskets are there if you want to do that and contribute um, in that way you can. But that's really for those who love Axis. Listen, guys, I want you to know as we enter this moment and this last song, and I want you to hear the message clearly, God so loved the world. That's what we're going to celebrate in these moments of communion. God, we love you. We thank you for giving us the greatest gift of all. And God, I thank you for everybody who's here today. This is um, such a, a great family, a great team of people who love you, who are trying to figure out ways to not just grow mentally, not just grow physically, but to grow in that most important area, which is spiritually, to make sure that we're fit, spiritually speaking, to make sure that we have those right morals, that right thinking, that right concept of, of God, the understanding of the Scripture. God, that's what we want. We have a good time in the process. We like to have a lot of fun as we go through it and we understand. Because we think, we, we know you're a God of, of joy. The Bible is very clear on that. The book of Philippians is all about that. And so, God, we celebrate. We have joy. And we also have moments of reflection. But God, we know and we trust that that ultimate gift of forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life in heaven is given to those who follow you. And so God, in these moments as we celebrate communion, just pray we're able to remember and reflect on your great love. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.